With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Liverpool winning the title is a thousand times worse than City winning the title. No expectations at all on Ten Hag. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Marcelo Bielsa is the most overrated manager in football. Every three years, some team comes up from the championship and you go, who? Bloody hell, good on them. And then they go right back down again. It's just Leeds lasted one extra season. Oh, well, Christ alive, let's put it up with walking on water and feeding the 5,000. Fuck off. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 22 of Comedians Talking About Football. It's a Manchester United episode, but you'll be pleased to know that today's guest, this Red Devils fan, actually lives north of London. What a lovely change to the podcast. Today's guest is a comedian, obviously, and he's also co-host of the Dead Man Talking podcast that he does with Rob Mulholland. Uh, Rob Mulholland, of course, being a Leeds United fan, and of course, today's guest isn't going to mention anything to do with Leeds at any point in this episode. So the comedian talking about football this week is Freddie Quinn. I'm a huge fan of Freddie's. I was thrilled to get him on the podcast. We couldn't meet in person, uh, but we did manage to record a little bit earlier in the year via Zoom. And those of you who saw his latest appearance on Good Morning Britain won't be surprised to hear that we embraced modern technology to record this podcast. Um, (laughs) So without further ado, this is Freddie Quinn talking Manchester United. Football at the end of the day. Football, it's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Freddie, thanks for joining me, mate. How you doing? It is a pleasure to be part of this <laughs> I, just, I didn't think 
Zoom podcasts were a thing anymore. Look at you rocking <laughs> yeah. it like it's 2020. Yeah, still going, still going. Well, we'll get onto the subject of your, of your podcast later on, Dead Men Talking, because that's going very, very well. There's a couple of reasons I want to mention that podcast, because, well, one, it's very good. And two, I was very surprised to see you recording it with Rob Mulholland. I only really know you and Rob Mulholland from your various uh, debates, shall we say, in a in a private Facebook group that we're all in. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, look, we're we're mates. Uh, it's just for the for the ninety minutes that his team's playing football, I want nothing but for the worst for him <laughs> and for all of his friends and family. And I, I I want nothing but pain and misery. Look, some of my best mates are Liverpool fans. Like, do I love them as people? Absolutely. I'm going to one of their weddings on Saturday. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I love them deeply as people. But if there was some sort of, let's say, attack at Anfield, <laughs> I, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't be that arsed. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Freddie, we are here today to talk about Manchester United, your team. Um, I'm going to start the podcast as we do with our usual. Well, we we hit we start with some quick fire questions. Some of them we ask uh, all guests, and some of them are suited particularly for you. So our first question is: You support Manchester United? Are they or are they not your local team? Right. Okay. Do you know what? I almost knew that this question was going to come up. Because it's a question that gets reserved solely for Manchester United fans and nobody else. They're not my local team. I, I, why does that matter? Well, it, it doesn't particularly matter. We do ask that to all guests. Oh, yeah. Although, yeah, I will yeah, say, yeah. <laughs> with our two Manchester United fans we've had on so far, one was Dan Fitzhenry, who lives in Exeter, and uh, one is Mike Fenton-Stevens, legendary comedy actor, lives in Kent. So can you beat those two? To being close well, to yeah, traffic. Yeah, so um I pressed it in it. So mm. I mean I'm less than an hour away. There you go. Already better than our last two. So there we go. There Let's... you go. We're in spitting distance of old Trafford. <laughs> uh okay, next question. Club over country, yes or no? Uh yes. Right. Okay, Cantona, Giggs, Rooney, or Ronaldo. You can only pick one of them to be in their prime for next season. Who do you pick? Wow, that is a question. Right, Cantona, Giggs, Rooney or Ronaldo in the prime for next season. Uh, Ronaldo. So the reason being is prime uh, Prime Cantona operated more as a number 10 and we've already got Bruno Fernandes. Uh, prime Giggs was good. <laughs> good player but the thing with gigs it's like it's not like he had one outstanding season mm. he had like 15 really very good seasons but he, he, whereas ronaldo there was that one season where he scored like 42 goals do you know what i mean so i'm saying i'm saying prime ronaldo prime ronaldo okay right you can know if you could beat these teams on the double next year so home and away would you rather beat liverpool home and away, or Man City, home and away? Liverpool. Who's it worse to see lift the title? Man Liverpool. City or Liverpool? There Liverpool. we go. There's, there's no United fan that exists that think it's worse for City. No United fan. You won't find one in the world, anywhere, that, that, that follows United. It, Liverpool winning the title is a thousand times worse than City winning the title. 
Do you think it's worse maybe for younger fans now who only know Man City as the top team that they are? I don't know what you mean by that, Rick. It's, 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 the reason being is because the reason that City are in the place that they are in is because they've bought it. Mm. That's that's the whole reason is that, you know, they've won the lottery, you know, they've they've bought their success and that's why they are the way they are. And you won't find a city. I'm not saying that in a disparaging way, like it makes it worse or anything, but it makes it easier for me to accept as a United fan. Of course, City, of course, City are at the top of world football. They have spent 400 million quid on defenders alone in, mm. in a couple of years, you know? Whereas with Liverpool, it's more difficult to accept because there's a shrewdness about their business. Final question. Um, and as I said, some of these questions are something we ask every guest. Some of them are particularly picked for whoever I'm interviewing for an episode. So I'm, uh, I'll let you guess what you think about this question. Bielsa, what do you rate him as a manager? He's, Marcelo Bielsa is the most overrated manager in football. Ge- he genuinely is. Do you know what? I was looking through Twitter today, tearing my bloody, well, what's left of my hair out, because obviously leads are back into a relegation fight mm. and people can't distance Bielsa from it quickly enough. <laughs> oh, uh, the one guy, oh, well, the miracle. This is what they, they, literally the words, the miracle that Bielsa performed in getting leads to the cha- uh, to the Premiership. It's like, be it. It's not a miracle at all. That's not a miracle. Eddie Howe did it with Bournemouth. Bloody Wagner did it with um, with Huddersfield. It's a miracle that happens every three years. Every three years, some team comes up from the Championship and you go, oh, bloody hell, good on them. And then they go right back down again. Mm. It's just Leeds lasted one extra season. Oh, well, Christ alive, let's put it up with walking on water and feeding the 5,000. Fuck off. <laughs> I mean, I mean, although there's a bit of a rivalry there with Man United and Leeds. Um, no, is, is there isn't. There's, there's no, no, there's not. There's no rivalry with Manchester United and Leeds. Leeds think there's a rivalry between Manchester United and Leeds, but there isn't because they've been so much. There was a there was a rivalry between Manchester United and Leeds in the year 2000 when Leeds were uh, a club that could get European football. And a club that could, you know, knock you out of the cup, they could win a cup competition. Then there was a rivalry. Ever since, you know, for the last 20 odd years, the, the rivalry's only been one way. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, one, they've never faced each other in the league in about 20 years because of where they were. They were in the championship, and people seem to have written off the fact that because there's this big talk at the moment as we record this about. Everton being the biggest team to have ever dropped out of the top flight. People are saying, no, 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 Leeds in 2004, that was bigger. I I think this whole big club thing is one of the most boring debates that you can have with football because every every fan thinks that their club is a big club and you're not all big clubs. Everton, I'm sorry, I don't think they're a big club. What, they're they're a big club because they won something in the 80s? Oh, well done. Fantastic. Great. You won things 20 years before the internet was a thing. Congratulations. Well done. Like, I'm I'm, I'm not sure why they think that they're massive. I think what it is, is the fall from grace is massive. Yeah. So look, when Leeds got relegated, there was writing on the wall that they were already fucked. Financially, they were fucked. The club was a mess at the higher levels and stuff. I get it. But if Everton go down... They'll have gone from Ancelotti to the championship in 12 months. 
And mm. Ancelotti's managing Real Madrid. So Ancelotti's not not the problem. It's the fall from grace that, that that club has had in the last 12 months is rapid. For me personally, I either or Everton or Leeds would be hilarious. Well, who, who do you support? Reading. Oh, right. Okay. Well, Paul Ince at the yeah, moment. Yeah, well, at the moment, yeah. Probably something to do with the fact Tom Ince is with us at the moment. So I don't know whether we just... <laughs> it, it, it Tom, rem- ring your dad. <laughs> ring your dad, see if he's free. It is like that. When I was playing for a team, at, at, you know, when I was younger, like I, I think one week the coach got ill. So they went, Sam, can your dad come down and just coach us next week? It's that sort of thing, really. And wow. uh, so, yeah, so, but, you know, whose dad doesn't look like he has friends? <laughs> Sam's dad. Sam's dad won't have a social life. Um, I busy. don't like. I don't like Paul Ince. I think he's Do a not, knob because he's no. This he old, played at United for a while. Yes, he did. Yeah, the the governor. Yeah, and we yeah. got fucking battered four 0 at the new Camp by Barcelona because the governor decided that he knew better than Ferguson and just did whatever the fuck he wanted on the pitch. And that was the end of him after that. <laughs> so so Manchester United, where did it all start for you, Freddie? What's your earliest memories of supporting the club? Well, I mean, I was... Um, my dad's a Man United fan and my dad would watch football with me and obviously watch United. And so I just grew up watching United games and that's sort of where it started. Um, I remember getting tickets, you know, my dad had sort of blagged tickets and have, you know, little sort of contacts and stuff. So, you know, when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, I was going to European nights and stuff like that. And yeah, I just, it just, I think you, I think it's natural to grow up, uh, supporting whichever club your dad supports. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, I suppose, like you said, you, so did you grow up in Preston? That was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preston. Time when like the third division, they were fucking dreadful. <laughs> and so I suppose it makes sense, you know, they're 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 uh, I'd count them as a local team, certainly. So who were the players who were around when you started watching, started going to games? Well, it was <coughs> it was pretty much class of '92, to be honest with you. Um coming through because I mean I was born in '88, and so when I was that age, they were just you know starting to, you know, your likes of your Skulls and your Beckhams and your, uh, you know, Gary Neville's and whatnot. You know, it's it's gigs and that. You know, Nicky Butt. You know that sort of. I mean, I remember, I remember having a a Man United calendar uh, as well, um, uh, and I remember, I remember having a Ryan Giggs poster as well. That now I look back on it was probably meant for women. <laughs> Like, like it was more of a. It wasn't gig scoring a great goal. It was more. Hey, he's he's quite a good looking lad, isn't he? But <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I I I was born the same year as you, and I have the same memories of that team. Um, I do think where you you grew up really benefits you there because I I one of my sort of earliest memories of of football. I got into football a little bit late, I guess, and so I I really got into it around the 98, 90, 99 season, the treble winning season. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, I mean, he was a, I think any football fan will remember that well. And I just remember, you know, getting really into football then, making sure I watched the Champions League games, obviously all on the telly, any Premier League game I could. And then it was at the end of that, my dad decided, you know, he, he likes the, you know, he likes Beckham and Giggs and Solskjaer. So I think now is a good time to take him to what was then Division Three Reading. 
<laughs> he likes Beckham. He likes Solskjaer. He likes gigs. So I'm sure he'll like the Majeski Stadium. <laughs> Fucking hell. What could have been? What could have been? Um, so I, I guess one of your earliest memories would have been that treble winning season as well. Yeah, that's I mean. probably that's probably the first time I watched. I, it's, it's probably the first time I can remember watching a game and remembering the game the whole way through. Mm. So I think that when you, you grow up watching United and watching football and stuff and you watch it, but to have those sort of concrete memories, like you can remember, you know, exactly how the match went. You can remember, you can remember where you were, who you were with, whereabouts in your house you were watching it or whatever. Yeah, that was, that was, I, I mean, I remember that was the first game, I think I was watching it and I was stood up and obviously, you know, one nil down, I remember just sort of having every ounce of my being sort of wishing and willing United on. And then when they ended up winning, I, I honestly thought it was like a, a miracle at that age. You know, and you think mm. that, oh, well, it, there's something magical in wanting something so much that it happens. I know what you mean. It was almost like a movie, like a really good film, or you know. And I suppose there was a feeling after that. I think I went off football a little bit after that. Maybe because my dad started taking me to Reading games, but also because I think I thought, why aren't all football games like this? It was so brilliant. It was such an yeah. amazing final two minutes of that game. Incredible, incredible. I can remember the players as well, like the Bay Munich players, Matthias Sammer and Oliver Kahn and Bixente Lizarazu, mm. just bashing the ground and, oh, mate. I can remember how much pain it was for them. And that seemed to make it even better. I think even as a child, I was a weird sociopath. <laughs> I love the story as well that, uh, you know, as, as they scored that equaliser, you know, I think it was, um, it wasn't Brian Kidd. That was Steve McLaren, of course, was the assistant manager. And he started getting all the, the bench warmed up. And apparently Ferguson turned to them and said, no, sit down. We're not taking this into extra time. We're going to get a winner here. I think that's incredible. I mean, let's talk about Ferguson for a little bit because obviously your earliest memories would have been the team under Alex Ferguson. As you got into football and you got older, he would have been there for, you know, there was a, there was rumours at the time he was going to retire after the, um, the treble winning season. But he obviously stayed all the way up until 2013. What was it like for you as a fan when he left? Um, I, I sort of remember being a bit in shock and sort of... Be- because the thing is, is when you grow up supporting United, the one thing that you never think about is the manager. You just, because because that's the one constant of the club. That's the one thing that never changes. So I remember sort of feeling like, oh, we have to sort of worry about who our manager is now. And it, it it's a bit of a weird time. It, also, it, it almost sort of brought you back down to earth. It, it very much did feel like it was the closing of a chapter on uh, on on uh, United's history. And I remember chatting to a Liverpool mate of mine who said that that's it. He said, that's it for United now. He said, you, you'll always come close, but you won't get there. And you'll come to learn eventually that it's the hope that kills you. And so eventually, one day you'll just stop hoping. And I remember thinking at the time, what a load of bollocks. And now, nearly 10 years later, I'm like, <laughs> fuck me, he was right. 
What were your thoughts when they brought in David Moyes? Was it disappointing for you? Did you have faith in him? And what about the managers who came after? I had total faith in uh, in David Moyes. Um, I think uh, the problem wasn't necessarily him. The problem was that it was a wholesale regime change. So, uh, you know, David Gill went as well. And so we had, uh, you know, all new sort of board and stuff. Um, there was talk, uh, well, I say talk, uh, Ferguson famously left... Um, uh, left David Moyes a present uh, in the form of uh, Tiago, who was ready to sign for United. He was 23 years old at the time. I mean, he's one of the best midfielders in the world at the moment, and he has been consistently for the last Christ knows how long. David Moyes decided that he wanted Mauro Fellaini instead because he worked with him. And I think that was a very bitter and prophetic sort of microcosm of what was to come. Was he was he given enough time, Moyes? Because, I mean, it's one of those funny things now where he had a season at West Ham, was a little bit hit and miss, and then they went elsewhere, brought him back in, and they gave him time on his second run, which a lot of managers wouldn't get, to be fair. And he now seems to be doing well with what he's got at West Ham. Do you think another season might have got something out of them? No. Look, the, the thing that United didn't realise at the time, because we never had to change managers before, there's a world of difference between managing a team where the expectation is to go out and win every game and managing a team where the expectation is to not get beat. Hmm. There's a there's a world of difference there. So with with United, you have to, or with United at the time, the expectation was that we'd go out and we'd take the game to teams. Bear in mind, this was a team, United, that had won the league by 12 points, you know, in 2012. Champions League finalists in 2011. This was one of the best teams in the world. David Moyes coming from a team who were fifth, sixth every year, you know, who who could afford to to sort of sit off the gas against teams that were better than them or teams where they were away. You can never afford to do that at United. It's a completely different tactical profile. And I think the mistake wasn't necessarily... Well, the mistake was... One of the mistakes was bringing Moyes in. But I think another mistake was sort of not realising that there's a difference between managing a club where the expectation is to win every game and managing a club where, you know, the expectations are different. Yeah, because I've seen a few people. The reason I brought that up is that with where he's got West Ham at the moment in the semi-finals of the Europa League, a lot of people are saying, oh, wow, you know, he really was sacked by United too early. And you think... Well, maybe now a Europa League semi-final would be quite good fun for Man United. But back then, the expectation was to win the title and to win the Champions League. Sure. I mean, here's the thing as well, though, is is there a team, apart from maybe the bottom three, is there a team that West Ham would, wouldn't be able to sort of sit off against? Like they just wouldn't, like their fans just wouldn't accept it? No, I don't think so. I wouldn't exactly. say so, no. Whereas at Man United, he was expected big things, very big things. If West Ham, if West Ham have got Crystal Palace away, then they can put eight men behind the ball and hit them on the break, and West Ham fans will be happy with that if they get a result. Do you know what I mean? Whereas with United, you can't go defensively away against Brighton. You, you just can't do that. 
So it's, it's, it's a different expectation. Did you have in your mind who you think should have come in after Ferguson left? I know there was a lot of talk for many years about Mourinho coming in. So I suppose my two questions there. One is who did you want to come in? And with all the chat and the rumours about Mourinho being the ultimate successor, what, what would you make of his time at the club? So, I, I mean, you've missed Van Gaal uh, out, of, out, out of those two. I, I, so I would have loved for Klopp to have come. Uh, but obviously that didn't work out, did it? And, uh, and where is he now? Um, yeah, I, I, I think ultimately that most managers that were going to come after Ferguson were going to be doomed to fail because what we did is we didn't just change the manager. We changed all the coaching staff. Mike Phelan left, Rene Muhlenstein left. We changed all the board. It was a wholesale change of the club. Hmm. which in retrospect wasn't helpful. What we should have done is we should have just changed the manager and retained the key aspects of the club. I think that whole stripping out was a problem. In terms of uh, Mourinho's time at the club, um, do you know what? It's funny because a lot of the things that Mourinho didn't said at the time, he was pillared for. And now he he's turning out to be totally right. Uh, Mourinho told us that Luke Shaw wasn't good enough. He's not. Mourinho told us that Paul Pogba would let us down. He has. Mourinho told us that Rashford wasn't capable. And at the time, we couldn't see it. Mm. But now, a few years later, he has been, for all Mourinho's pluses and minuses, he was incredibly right about his assessment of the team. So new season coming up, new manager. What do you think are the key changes he's going to need to bring in, both on and off the pitch? Good question. So already the key changes have have started, really, for me. So in terms of clearing out the scouting team, all gone. Matt Judge has gone. Uh, You know, it's it's a, a total clear out at board level. Uh, the first thing that he needs to do is completely overhaul scouting and the way that we profile and look for players. Um, I think that for all the money United have spent, you can only really argue that maybe one player has really improved the squad since they came in, and that was Bruno Fernandes. And even him, to be honest with you, to the back end of the season has gone off the boil massively. Whereas you look at your teams like Liverpool and your teams like City, who were, you know, the leaders at the moment, uh, I I can't think of a bad signing that they've made in years. I, I, I just, I can't think of one that hasn't improved the team or that wasn't worth the money. And I, I, I think recruitment's so important and we've got it so wrong that the first thing that he needs to do is to sort of overhaul that and have everyone singing from the same hymn sheet. I think the key thing with Ten Hag, really, is that we have to see this as a long-term appointment. We just have to. Regardless of what happens, whether or not he comes in and he's amazing, or whether or not he bloody pushes us down to 12th, we have to see this as he's got five years to rebuild this club, because we've tried the short fixes, and all that's happened is that we've found ourselves further away from you know you, 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 the historic big rivals. Uh, in terms of what he needs to do in terms of the squad, 
the culture at the uh, club is very toxic at the moment. Uh, McTominay's come out and said that. Jesse Lingard's come out and said that. The dressing room's completely broken, and I think he'll need to go a long way in terms of mending it. Uh, bringing new players in, I think that you could argue that we could bring in a new player for everybody apart from De Gea, Varane, Bruno and Sancho. I think uh, and I, th- I think everybody else, and I include Ronaldo in that, I think everyone else potentially is upgradable. Uh, so the scale of the rebuild is is just, it's astronomical. Probably the one of the biggest, in, in terms of rebuilds, probably, I would say one of the biggest jobs has ever been in football. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to talk about two players in particular from the uh, from the game just gone. And that is, sorry, from the season that's just gone. And first first, first and foremost, it's I want to talk about um, Sancho. Has he been given a real chance this season, do you think? Sancho has been one of our better players, to be honest with you, this season. Um, however, he has suffered massively from um, really poor form of his teammates, plus also having two of, I would argue, the worst fullbacks uh, around at elite level clubs to sort of provide him with that width and stuff. So he's doing all that on his own. I think he's he's shown flashes of absolute brilliance. And I think under a Ten Hag system, he'll absolutely thrive. He's a really good player. He is worth 73 million quid, but he's coming as a 21-year-old lad to a club that is on fire. He's mm. not going to fix it himself. And the other player I wanted to talk to you about is how do you solve a problem like Maguire? Where is it all going You got rid of him. I mean, the thing about Maguire, which I find strange is, is that he had a bit of a struggle when he arrived at the club. You know, that's that's fair enough. And then I, I felt he had a really good Euros. I felt in the Euros, he, he did very, very he did. well. He did, but you have to remember that... Uh... You, you you have to remember that England play a very different system to uh, to United, and Maguire's main weakness is that he's incredibly slow. He's astronomically he's very very slow, which is why he likes to play off the front foot so much and try and win the ball high up and early. And if you're playing, I mean, in the Euros we played a narrow back three of um, sort of like a. 3-4-3, three, three, if you like, mm. of Stones, Maguire and Kyle Walker. Uh, now, Kyle Walker is one of the fastest, most athletic players in in football at the moment, not just in the England team. Um, and I think that that allowed Maguire to sort of, you know, it, it, it kind of papered over the cracks of Maguire, uh, of, of Maguire's physical limitations. But at United, you know, Tellez isn't particularly quick. Uh, Wan-Bissaka is not particularly quick. Varane's pretty fast, but he keeps getting himself injured and stuff. Lindelof's not not rapid, and Eric Bailly's absolutely mental. There's no one to sort of paper over the cracks of his deficiencies. United want to play a high line like all the teams do to try and compress the pitch and stuff, but if you play a high line against any team with a brain, they're just going to lob balls over the top of uh, Maguire's head and watch him sort of check. He's, he's just not tactically mm. set out to play elite football at club level when they play high lines. He's, he's just not. If you put 
Maguire in a team like, do you know what? I was going to say Leicester then. What a, uh, what an <laughs> irony that would be. Tell you what, stick with the West Ham theme. If Maguire was at West Ham, he looked great because he'd sit on the edge of his box and he'd head balls away all day. But when, when you uh, are required to defend higher up the pitch, you just can't do that. Now it's, it's a shame really because he used to be so comfortable on the ball, but he, it honestly looks like his confidence is so completely deteriorated to the point now where he's a total liability. And of course, teams take advantage of that because they aggressively press him more than they would. And that just, you know, it, it, it becomes a, a self-fulfilling cycle because he makes more mistakes, he gets pressed more, he makes more mistakes, he gets pressed more, you know. You made a really good point there, Freddie, I think, about it being one of the biggest jobs in football next season, the rebuild. Being honest, what is your realistic expectations for next season? None. Zero. Zilch. I'm trying to get this across to as many United fans as I can. Mm. No expectations for three years. Nothing. Let him do, as long as he doesn't relegate us, let him do whatever he wants. Because he, he has to have that time to do what he wants. And if we finish 10th, I don't care. I literally don't care. Because at the moment, all that's stopping us from finishing 10th uh, is, is in, it, it doesn't make a difference to me if we finish 10th next season or in three seasons' time. Do you know what I mean? And we're going down that downward trajectory at the moment. So I'd rather bring somebody in. And if he messes it up, he messes it up. But knowing that we're there for long term... Talk a little bit about comedy, Freddie. Um, in particular, I want to talk about the podcast that you started not too long ago with Rob Mulholland, who's a big Leeds fan. Um, Dead Men Talking. It seems to be doing very, very well. Yeah, yeah, we're going, we're, we're going quite well at the moment. I think the key behind it really is that there isn't really any other podcast like it at the moment. In that we are very much um, embracing. Uh, filth and offensiveness with uh, both hands and just seeing where it goes. Yeah, it's I've really enjoyed it. I've listened to a couple of episodes myself. Yeah, it's really good fun. Um, and then with your comedy as well, you I mean, I've, I've seen quite a lot of your stuff. I've, we've never actually gigged together, but I've seen a lot of it because you're quite prominent on social media, Instagram, TikTok especially. How long have you been gigging? Where did it all start for you? So I, I, I did my first gig in the 3rd of March, 2007 at Beat the Frog. And uh, I, I won the competition or whatever. And I remember thinking, this is great. And somebody came up to me afterwards and uh, they said, hey, you, you, you're you a good kid. Um, do you want to do my gig in uh, Withington to start Manchester on the Wednesday? 10 minutes. And I was like, yeah, sure, sure. I, I didn't have the money to sort of go to Preston and back again. So I slept on my friend's floor in his dorm for three days. Um, and then I did the gig and it was to six people in Withington. It was fucking shit. It was dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> and in my head, I genuinely thought like, well, you do beat the frog on Monday. You do Withington on the Wednesday. A week on Saturday, be live at the Apollo. The tour will be in the autumn. Yeah, you know. Um, and it's funny, really. I, I I did comedy maybe. I did about 20 gigs over the course of the next year, trying to figure it out. And sometimes I'd go great. Sometimes I'd go dreadful. 
But I was really young. I was like 18. And I I just, I it was weird. I'd, I'd kind of stumbled on comedy by accident, but I knew that it was something that I wanted to do from the moment that I did it. But I just knew that I wasn't sort of mature enough mentally. So I left and I had a couple of years break. And then I started again in 2010, June 2010. And when I had a couple of years break, I came back and I was like, yeah, I I know I I this was a much better idea. And you know, during that time I'd I'd got a job, you know, I'd dropped out of uni, you know, I'd had a long-term relationship and that had gone tits up. And I just I I had more adult experiences, you know. Mm. And so I could talk about that more on stage. And instantly that made that made the world a difference. Uh yeah, and I've been doing it ever since. That's a long old time then from your first gigs. If you go 2007, you must have only been, what, 18, 19 then when you first took the stage? I was literally 18 years old and I was like a young 18 as well, I think. Um, like, you, you know, like like really sort of green, you know, live with me mum, you know, very sort of like didn't really have any life experiences or anything. And I noticed, I mean, I was eight, I, maybe one in six gigs would go well and then the rest – Two or three out of the six would go there, and then a couple would be real fucking stinkers. And the thing is, is I've always enjoyed sort of ruder comedy, as it were, um, and like pushing the buttons and stuff. And so some of the stuff that I didn't said, I remember doing one gig and I tried a bit of new material, and I I, I can't believe I thought that this was funny or ever going to work, but it was about learning that one in three people get cancer um and it was like but it was like but two out of three don't surely surely they should lead with that make us feel good about it or whatever and i i honestly don't know what part of that i thought was funny uh but i remember it really upsetting some people and the promoter saying you need to leave because there's a couple of guys that want to kick your head in and i remember leaving the gig and seeing these two massive blokes and thinking fuck and so I left the gig and I put a limp on. <laughs> put a faint put a faint little limp on, like, well, they wouldn't they wouldn't beat a crippled child, surely. Um I'm really interested to hear your fantasy five-a-side Manchester United team. Now, of course, as always, it isn't just we don't want the best players, we don't want necessarily the Man United legends. I want five players. Uh, that means something to you. And uh, this team will hopefully, we think, end up being a bit of a, a kind of a cult five-a-side Manchester United squad. So uh, who have right. you got in your team? I'm going with a five players that have pissed me off watching them more than anyone else. <laughs> like so it. five players who, watching them as a, as a United fan, has made me want to reach out into the TV and just strangle these people to death. Um, so the goalkeeper is Fabian Bartes. Oh, of course. Who was just is off his tits. It was like it was like he'd get bored and just it's it like Fabian, you're here for an hour and a half. Just just suck it up. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I remember watching United against um, Deportivo La Coruña in uh, in the Champions League, I believe, round of sixteen, and we got knocked out of that tie because he just lost his shit. 
He, 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 he went full Manuel Neuer before Manuel Neuer was a thing. He was just <laughs> off his tits. Absolutely. And he'd do weird things as well. He'd, he'd lob, like, he'd lob strikers that were coming up to him to try and dispossess him and stuff. He'd be like, there's no need, Fabian. There's absolutely no need. Uh, yeah, capable of some incredible stuff. But honestly, I've, the, the one thing you want as a keeper is for them not to be fucking crazy. The one thing you want is just dependable, reliable. Don't give, just, just don't give me a heart attack. And he was the mm. opposite of that. It was a strange one with Barthez because, I mean, when Shamichael left, it felt like there wasn't a big name to replace him. I mean, my memory was obviously that I think it was Mark Bosnich came in for a while. There was, uh, I think, Roy Carroll. Uh, and also there was another player, I can't remember his name, but he just was sort of only known in his history at Man United for letting the ball go between his legs. He was wearing joggers or something. Oh, Massimo Taibi. That's it. That's the name. I thought it was Tabby, Taibi, something like that. Yeah, we got over like a million quid and he played twice. I think <laughs> as well, Tim Howard was playing for us around that time as well. Of course, yeah, Tim Howard, I forget that. And then So then when Bartes came in, it was like, right, at last, a world-class keeper coming in. I actually think Bartes was before Tim Howard and Roy Carroll. If if my memory serves, it went uh, Schmeichel uh, and then pretty much Bartes. But I'd, I'd love to know if there was anyone in between. I can't think. If it was, it was probably just that Tiabi, someone like that. But but it was. It seemed like it was at last a decent replacement for Shamichael, and it was just. I mean, there's. I'm not saying he was. He's known, you know, in history, in the history of football, he is a good keeper. He's remembered as a, as a great keeper. But they're, they're just endless videos of him with howlers, him coming out the time he called offside and just stood there and allowed them to carry on playing and score. He was a bizarre player. You're absolutely right. And that's an excellent first pick for your team. So that's your goalkeeper coming. <laughs> Who else uh, we got in there? Yeah, so he, he, I mean, I had to check them because it was driving me insane. He was uh, signed as a replacement for uh, for Peter Schmeichel. Uh, he was part of the World Cup winning side in uh, in 1998. Yeah, yeah, for France. So he, so he was signed as a replacement. Do you know what? To be honest with you, there's a lot of Schmeichel-esque qualities about him in that, he was kind of off his tits, you know. Um, so our our one defender in this five-a-side team is uh, Alexander Butzner. Oh, okay. It's not an, a name I've not heard for a long time. But so we bought him off uh, some again Dutch team. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And he he genuinely looked like he had won a competition to be there. I think he came, he came from Vitesse, but he, he, he came, I believe, under the uh, Van Van Hall era. And I honestly, knowing United as I know in terms of how they recruit them, I honestly think that somebody thought, well, he's Dutch. And then that was as much as they thought. He was absolutely <laughs> fucking dreadful. He was dreadful. I honestly, I honestly don't think that he um, uh, he, he even realised that he was playing for United. He was he, he was meant to go to Southampton, uh, but then we came in at the last minute and took mm. him. No idea. Yeah, I mean that's a name genuinely I would have forgotten. So that's who you're relying your whole defence on, Alexander. That's who I'm relying my whole defence on. 
Because I've never, like, like he's one of those players who, in my life, you, you watch him and you, you, you're so... It's sort of like watching him as a player is sort of like when you watch a puppy do a shit on a rug. In that there's, there's there's blinding anger, but at the same time you go, well, he doesn't know any better. And it's so rare that I've ever sort of had that with you. Usually United sign players and you go, well, he's just shit. Every once in a while you'll get yourself a Gabriel Obertan or something like that. But it's, it, it, it's a rarity. And I can't think of many more defenders that we had up until that point that were just unfathomably shit and I've no idea why we signed them. It was such a weird time as well because it was the Louis van Gaal era that was kind of when he was trying to rebuild the squad, bringing in some quite big names. They might have been past it at that point, but start, certainly bringing in names. And that was that was a strange one. I don't remember at, seeing him play much, but man, that was crazy. Look at who. So, so he played, he, he had 13 appearances for United. <laughs> In two years, right? 13 appearances. Oh, no, sorry. He had, um, uh, in all competitions, 13 league appearances, uh, 28 in all competitions in two years, right? Now, look at the other teams that he's played for. He played for Vitesse, United, Dynamo Moscow, Anderlecht, Vitesse again, and now he plays for RKC Walwick. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what the hell that is. Blimey. Oh, what a name. What a name. So that's Alexander Butner then, who is on his own taking care of your whole defence. Well, we got Bartes in there as well, so he'll probably help out with a sweeper-keeper responsibility. Yeah. Um, anchoring the midfield is Anderson. Oh, Okay. Right. Now, Anderson's an interesting one because so he was part of, uh, again, a, a very um, well-remembered squad from the... Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was part of that 2008 squad, wasn't he? Champions League and Premier League title winning. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I would, I would think that he'd be part of the 2009 finalists and the 2011 finalists as well. I don't hmm. think he left till... Uh, until Van Hall came in. Right, okay. I'd have to check. And the reason that I want Anderson is because in the spirit of players that have just made me want to wring their bloody necks, he is the opposite of Alexander Butner (laughs) in that Butner was fucking dreadful, but you had a feeling like he, he couldn't be any better than what he was doing. Like... Like, he, he physically couldn't do any better. Anderson is one of the most talented football players I've ever seen. And there are so many reports of training sessions that he ran on his own as a <coughs> as a 20-year-old kid. He's a former Golden Boy winner. He is an incredibly talented player who just had an OK career at United because he was fat as fuck and just loved partying. And that in itself is somehow more frustrating, where you go, for the love of God, can you just eat less burgers? Is Why is that <laughs> Why is that not a problem? You're a professional athlete, you fat fuck. Just, 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 just try 
for a decade and you'll be set for life. Do this at 40. Do this shit at 40. Yeah, he, um, there's so many reports of him just, his attitude was just done. And it's a shame because, like I say, so talented. Do you know what? I'm looking up now, seeing what he looks like. He actually looks in better condition now that he's joined this. Uh, I don't know when this, this was from, but it's X-Man United midfielder Anderson joins Turkish second tier club. He actually looks, I think, in better shape now than he did back then. Oh, fuck off. Really? <laughs> yeah. Where's this from? Uh, yeah, of course, Brazilian player. Uh, joined uh, Adana Demisora. And this is from, when was this? This is 2018. So things might have changed since then. He might have had a lockdown, might have chilled and had some, uh, uh, yes, how would it be that? He's 34 now. But at this time here, I think he looks better than he did in his time at Man United. Well, I mean, I, I sort of, when he joined the club, he was this skinny kid who Mm. had so much bags of ability. So many, you know, he, he he was so talented with the ball at his feet. Um, he he was somebody who could really do everything. He could he great passer of the ball, had great vision. He had a calmness about him. He was great in a tackle, uh, but also he could take players on for fun. Mm. He was a he, he was everything you'd want in a midfielder, and yet his career just went okay. And it could have gone. He, he, I, I honestly believe that Anderson could have been, if he'd have had the work ethic of Ronaldo, he would be talked about as one of the best players that we've ever seen in the Premier League. I do remember when he when he signed, you're absolutely right. There was a big hype around it because there weren't many Brazilian players in the Premier League back then. And for a Brazilian player to come to the you know to Man United it's back then when a Brazilian played go ooh Brazil oh well, this is going to be exciting and it was a big hype around him and then still seeing him years later going oh, that it's him still going still there well I mean he's a former Golden Boy winner as well and obviously mm-hmm. you know he, in fact he won the Golden Boy in two thousand eight so and that's quite late on really when he was already I wouldn't have said he was necessarily a first team player back then either he was kind of bringing him on no, 65 no, no, minutes God, in. He, he, he would have been like a youth player but he mm. would have been like he, he would have been insanely good he would have been insanely good like it's just it's 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 so frustrating with ones like that players like that where you it's it's not even like as well. It's not even like they were just sort of like, uh, you know, it's, it's not even like they were flops. He was a really good player. And you're talking, you know, the people that had won it before him were like Rooney, Messi, Fabregas, Aguero, Anderson. You look at all the players who'd won it before him, you know, they all went on to be up there with the best. He, he he was really, I think, the first flop, you know? And I think you've got to say that it's just so frustrating to watch a player with all that ability only reach a third of what he could have done. Yeah. It's one of those things as well, because I suppose being part of the squad, he still collected his medals. He still collected, he can still say, oh yeah, you know, Premier League titles, Champions League, what more do you want? But I know what you mean. He could have been that that good. He, he yeah. I, I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't a bad player by any means. Mm. But he could have been the talisman. He could have been 
the team that we built everybody around. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Especially in his position. So that's so that's we've got Bartes, we've got Butner, we've got Anderson, we've got two more players. Who you got for us, Freddie? Uh, we're gonna go with Alexi Sanchez. <laughs> okay, Sanchez, he's in. I've I've never I've I, honestly I'm still waiting for the player that I thought we were gonna get when we signed him. It, it, um, unbelievable. We signed a player that was one of the best players in the Premier League for the last three years. And he just, the second that he turned up at Old Trafford, it, do you know what it's like? It's, it, have you ever seen the, um, have you ever seen the, uh, the, the, the Disney film Hercules? I have actually, yeah. You know, when, you know, when Hercules makes a deal with the devil, mm. uh, well, the devil Hades, bloody, you know, uh, and, and, and he loses his powers for 24 hours. Yeah. He just turned shit. That I, I feel like that's what happened with Sanchez. Like he made a deal where he said, "I'll I'll go to Old Trafford and earn six hundred grand a week," and they went, "But we're gonna turn your shit." And he went, "Yeah, no problem at all." <laughs> it was just it was like getting a player who would and he, he, he the things that he was famous for the the tenacity the running around and stuff. Just didn't bother. And then every once in a while, he'd do something fucking class. He'd a pass or uh, a, like a, a goal or just he, even a, a run. that Just let you know that the old player was still trapped in there somewhere. Mm. Oh, God, but he was, he was maddening to watch. Absolutely infuriating. Uh, people forget, I think, how big his signing was. It was huge when he came over from Arsenal. He'd had such an amazing career there. I think people thought it was going to be... I mean, I suppose some comparisons were made about when Van Persie came over, but I suppose Van Persie's... Maybe his best days were behind him then, but he still came in enough to to do enough and and to win a a title with them. But Sanchez was the top of his game. It was almost like he's not even in his prime yet. And we have... It felt like this is the old Man United now, picking up players like like Cantona, like Roy Keane, before they've hit their pinnacle. So it was so exciting to bring him in, but then just nothing, nothing. Nothing at all, nothing. Um, there were a couple of really good performances. I remember an FA Cup semi-final against Tottenham where he was exceptional. Uh, but by and large, it was just like he didn't want to be there. Mm. And it was ju- it, it's so frustrating to watch because, again, you know that there's a great player locked in there somewhere. You because I've seen him for three years, and you don't turn shit overnight. Yeah. I'm still wondering what the hell happened to him. Yeah, it's very strange. It was, a, it was a very strange situation to the point where it, I almost feel like his bad time at Man United affected his Arsenal legacy. It's almost like he's more well known for being the player who moved and was shit than he was remembered from his original Arsenal time. I mean, you got like Torres. Torres had a bit of a struggle at Chelsea, but still got an important goal in the Champions League. And you sort of think, well, it doesn't matter what he did at Chelsea because he's still a legend at Liverpool. I genuinely feel like in, in, sort of generic Premier, people who watch the Premier League think Sanchez, that guy who went to United and was so shit. So shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, is he ran the Premier League for three years. Yeah. He ran it. 
He was one of the best players. 20 goal a season striker, minimum, in an Arsenal team that were fucking poo. So we've got, that's, a, I mean, I'm sure if it's, a, it, as you've said, it's a team of players who frustrate you. And I'm sure every Man United fan would agree with Sanchez. But who's your final addition to this fantasy five-a-side cult-like team? It was a toss-up between uh, Radamel Falcao and uh, Cavani, but I think I'm going to go with Cavani. Right, okay, Cavani. That's interesting because he had, I feel like he had quite a good season, either the season before. As in the this is what frustrates last. me about him. Yeah. He, is, he is constantly crippled. He's, he's just, honestly, the guy can play about 50, 60 minutes and then he's done. Also as well, I think that he wanted to leave Old Trafford this season and go back to, um, at the beginning of this season, and go back to uh, Argentina. I think there was talk of him going to play for Boca, and we convinced him to stay for one more season to sort of help us out, and there's just nothing. And it's a shame because I really like Cavani as a player, and I love when he plays, but he has been so absent when we've needed him. He's been so, so absent Mate, at the start of this, at, at the start of the season, he missed six games because he was like, mm. oh, "I'm just in Argentina," and we were like, "All right, okay, cool." When you coming back, he was like, oh, in like a few weeks, maybe." I'm just in Argentina because I'm a bit sad. Cool. All right. Nice. <laughs> Imagine that under Fergie. Wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen. No. No. Absolutely not. Abs. Not a chance in hell. It's it's a shame, really, because. I know that Cavani, I mean, every United fan knows he doesn't want to be there, but he's so talented. Oh, my God. I would love, love to have seen Cavani at Old Trafford when Cavani was 30. I would have loved to have seen it because he has just got, he's he's just got an instinct unlike anybody else. He can finish with both feet. He can head. He runs, he works his socks off, but his body's just fucked and he don't want to live in England no more and he sure as hell doesn't want to play for us. And that's what's that's what almost makes it so his one good season as well was mm. in lockdown. So he, he he couldn't even really hear an old Trafford crowd. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's when it was it was the lockdown 2020 uh well 2019 2020 season. Uh, so that's your team then, Freddie, a team who frustrated you over your year supporting them. We've got Fabian Bartes, Alexander Butner, we've got Anderson, we've got Sanchez and Cavani. And because it's a team that particularly annoy you, I would, I'm going to ask you one more question. That is, if you could give them any manager, and that's a Man United manager in your time supporting them who's frustrated the hell out of you, who would you make manager of that team? Oh, wow. I was going to give it to Paul Pogba in a managerial role. <laughs> just to see what he could... Who, who's the manager that's frustrating me the most? Um, I am going to... Yeah, I'm going to say uh, Van Hall. Mm. Uh, because Louis Van Hall had this... The thing with Van Hall is that we would we'd never get turned over. I can't remember us losing a goal, uh, a game by more than two goals with Van Hart. It, it, it just never happened. But fuck me, was it the most boring football in the world? And also as well, he had this thing, this bizarre thing, where he could look at a player who had played in a certain position their whole lives and he'd go, nope, 
I see you as this, you know? <laughs> like, there was a time when he played, um, he, he, uh, uh, there's a time when he played Di Maria, uh, uh, an out-and-out winger. Played him as a centre mid for a bit, in like a midfield three. And it's like, what? What are you doing? What the hell are you doing? It just, you've got a really great winger. Just play him on the fucking wing. Why are we, why are we doing this? So yeah, I'd have, I'd have Van Hall. Van Hall would probably play some mad formation. He'd probably play Sanchez as a wing back or something like that. Yeah, that'd Fantastic. be my that'd be my five side team. Love it, absolutely love it, Freddie. And uh, yeah, uh, it's a great way to end. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, mate. Really, really appreciate it. No worries. See you soon. Bye. Cheers, mate. Thanks again to Freddie for coming on the podcast. What an honour to have him on. Uh, do find him on social media. He's very easy to find. He's got the same handle across everything, apparently. He's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. It's at Freddie with a Y, Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N-E. And as I said, do check out their podcast as well, Dead Men Talking Podcast that he presents with Rob Mulholland. It's brilliant. Really, really good. And worth signing up to their Patreon as well. Not that I have, but they've got loads of extra stuff on there. There's a living crisis on. Don't judge me. Uh, anyway, um, if you enjoyed the podcast, there's loads of other episodes you can go back to listen to. And if you like the podcast, why not follow us on all the socials? I say all the socials. We're only on two: Twitter and Instagram. Just search at Com Talk Footy Pod. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm Sam Michael UK. Uh, Until then, the very least you can do, if you enjoyed the podcast, just tell your friends about it. Uh, Anyway, until next time, when our guest will be Harvey Hawkins. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Until then, take care. It's a funny old game. It's a game of two Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.